0: This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit CanDoWealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence.
1: Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. The much-anticipated COP26 is getting underway in Glasgow, And there is a lot riding on the government having a successful couple of weeks. The Prince of Wales gave an address to the G20 summit in Rome this morning in the hope of inspiring fruitful negotiations as governments aim to keep global temperature rises below 1.5 degrees. Trevor Phillips interviewed the president-designate of COP26, Alok Sharma, and asked him what he thought the conference could achieve.
2: We're talking promises here, aren't we? And uh, actually... Part of what you've got to do in the next couple of weeks is arm-wrestle people into some new promises. Now, it's not that helpful that President Xi, uh, President Putin, aren't turning up. I mean, basically, they're saying, honestly, we're not that bothered.
0: Well, if you have a look at what uh, both President Putin and President Xi have actually announced, they've both announced uh, net zero targets uh, for the middle of the century. More uh, promises.
2: And, uh, and, More promises than they haven't met the first lot yet. Well,
0: well if, if I may, and of course, the World Leaders Summit is really important. We've got over 120 world leaders coming from you know, all over the globe. But, of course, what we're also going to have is two weeks of detailed negotiations. And those teams are here. I've met uh, with some of the representatives from Russia, from China. Over the last few days, I've been doing the sort of pre-prep for uh, for COP itself. And so um, that is what's going to be really important, is to get over the line these key negotiating issues as well. And this is a chance, quite frankly, for all of these countries to show leadership. This
2: is the point where they have to stand up and be counted. Do you want more out of China and Russia than they have promised.
0: I want more out of every country, but I think the point here is that we have made progress, and then we're gonna have to take stock of where there is a gap in, you know, what the commitments are and where we need to be. And one of the things we're gonna have to discuss, and in a very consensus-led way, is how do we close that gap over this decisive decade? And, you know, some people are suggesting we need to come back and look at those commitments again, those 2030 commitments over the next couple of years. That is an agreement that's going to come through consensus, and it's my job to help build that consensus.
1: Andrew Marr also spoke to Sharma and challenged him over the Cambo oil field development off the west coast of the Shetland Islands, on which progress has been delayed until next year.
3: The International Energy Agency says that to reach net zero by 2050, no new oil and gas fields can be approved from development from this year. Surely, you have it in your power to stop that development. Why won't you?
0: Well. Um, it is not, as you say, in, in my power. my role here, the government's is, power. My, Yes, my role here is to bring together consensus amongst 200, uh, almost 200 sure. countries. But to you, the what I said to you, that in terms of the IEA report, uh, what they also make clear, that even at a net zero scenario, there is some element of uh, oil and gas uh, in that. But, of course, you know, what, what I want to see is us doing okay. even more renewables as we have done over the past decade.
3: I ask again, does allowing the Cambo oil and gas field off Shetland to go ahead now, set a good example around the world.
0: And Andrew, what I would say to you is that, uh, you know, that is something that is being considered. There was a consultation inquiry around all of that. Uh, I'm not going to go uh, into that particular issue. Uh, you know, when, when there is an announcement, an agreement, of course, I'm very happy to come back and talk to you. My job... Andrew, is to pull together almost 200 parties to try and reach agreement here at this COP. But people are looking to you to set an example. Now, the
3: chair of the Climate Change Committee, Lord Deben, former John Gummer, says of the oil and gas fuel camera that I've been describing, he says once you do that, once you like to go ahead, you set an example that will be quoted throughout the world as showing that such a development is acceptable, and yet you're not prepared to stop it.
0: Well, as I said, that's not my decision, that's not my role. It's your government's decision. Well, yes, and as I said to you, when a decision is made, uh, I'm very happy to come back and discuss it. But since you mentioned the Committee on Climate Change, they've also said that the net zero strategy that we have produced is uh, a landmark uh, strategy uh, globally, and it's one that I think other countries will look at and uh, take heed of.
3: And if I was a country looking for a way out, a loophole here, I'd say, look at Cambo, they're not even prepared to stop that.
0: Well, shall we wait and see what the decision is? We shall.
1: Mar also spoke to the Shadow Business Secretary, Ed Miliband. One feature of last week's budget was the announcement of a significant cut to air passenger duty for domestic flights.
3: Let's talk about uh, Labour Party policy. Sure. You've been very critical of the government for halving air passenger duty, uh, as they did in the budget. Would you re- reinstate that? We'll set that out at the manifesto. No, but, no, it's but completely... I'm looking for leadership. You say you have to be
4: specific. Yeah, well, look, I'm a completely, Give me some leadership. I'm complete, I'm, look, we, you, there's no, no question about our position on this. We're completely against this. And, and let me say why. Because we, we had a budget, which was supposed to be days before COP26, mm. where the Chancellor had a chance to set out investment okay. plans so. to retrofit and insulate no, every it's, home. It's, it's, and it's a very ha- simple
3: question. Would you repeat it or not?
4: Well, we're, we're against it and we'll set out our promise at the manifesto. You, you, you get a clear it's, sense it's of okay. where I'm
3: going. OK, all right. All right, I can see where you're going, but you haven't really told me yet. Let me ask you about flying more generally. I imagine that you, like me, like most people, came here by train. The UK is not a very, very big country. Do you think we have to get rid of internal domestic flights more or less completely? I mean, not completely, but as much as we possibly can, which is why the domestic
4: air passenger duty decision was the wrong decision. And, but, but, but here's the thing, Andrew, and this is my approach mm. on, on the climate crisis uh, and, and how we tackle
3: it. What about flying
4: from let Manchester just, to let London finish, and let Birmingham finish, to London? Let me just finish the, the point, if I can. Uh, We've got to give people alternatives. You see, see the really regrettable thing about Rishi Sunak's budget is he could have been investing in public transport. He could have been investing in train services, in bus services. And and that's the key. And, you know, fairness and giving people alternatives is an absolutely key part of making this transition happen. And this government not making the investments we need
3: means that we don't give people those alternatives. OK, but there are alternatives, London to Manchester. Would you stop people flying from London to Manchester and back again?
4: Well, I don't know about stopping people, but you need to give people the right alternatives and you need to have the right levels of taxation uh, on these things.
1: Ma also questioned Miliband about whether he had misunderstood his party leader Keir Starmer's previous stance on common ownership of energy companies. Miliband appeared to have previously taken this to mean nationalisation, at least until Starmer seemed to contradict him at the Labour Party conference.
4: There's two options in relation to the energy companies uh, that are in trouble. One is to get their customers taken on by uh, other companies, Mm -hmm. which is what's been happening and secondly, as a last resort, to say we should have a special administration regime where it's held in the public sector. I think we look at both of those options... So that's see not
3: nationalisation, what, is it? Well,
4: it would be, actually, in the short term. It would be in the short term, and then they'd go back into the, right. to the marketplace. And I think so what we've got I, to do is the test on this, is do you get value for money for bill payers mm. and taxpayers? And that is the key thing. Can I,
3: can I just clear something up? Yeah. Did you think that Keir Starmer was in favour of nationalising the energy companies or not?
4: I thought Keir Starmer, and, he's, and I, I know this to be, continue to be true, believes in a role for common ownership in relation to energy. There is a role for common ownership in relation to energy, but there's lots of different aspects to common ownership in because, energy. Let me just finish the point. There's, there's supply, there's generation, there's distribution, and there's, tr- and there's uh, the grid. And what we're going to do, the, the, the energy market clearly isn't working. We're going to take a step back, and look at what the right way of, 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 of modelling our energy system in the future is. So there's a role for common so, ownership,
1: but we'll set out at the election what it is exactly. Philip spoke to Tina Steggy,
5: the climate envoy for the Marshall Islands, about what the effects of climate change would mean for her country. Beyond 1.5 is unimaginable for, for my country. We are um, an atoll nation that sits just two metres above sea level. I don't know if, what, if you know what that means. Um, two meters is, it's, a, it's an, a nation of coastline. We don't even have hills, Trevor. So um, we're looking at sea level rise of 0.5 meters um, at 1.5. And as you said, that means inundations, yearly inundations. Um, we need to start thinking about how to raise land, um, buildings, how, how are we gonna survive in that 1.5 world. So beyond 1.5, we cannot go.
2: So the situation you're describing in a way suggests that um, if we don't fix this uh, in 50 years' time, what we now call the Marshall Islands as a state will be history.
5: I can't accept that outcome. That That's not acceptable to me. And I don't think it should be acceptable to any person or nation in this world to write off a country and what I keep telling partners is we're on the front lines. We're on the front of the front lines. We are the most vulnerable. But if you protect the most vulnerable, you protect yourself and you protect your children. And I think we've really learned, if anything, from COVID. If you protect the front line, everyone is protected. The former Environment
1: Secretary, Owen Paterson, spoke to Nigel Farage on GB News about an inquiry by the Commons Standards Committee, which found Paterson to have been lobbying on behalf of two companies. Paterson rejected the verdict and put forward his defence.
6: I was not lobbying. I was using the exception rule that you can bring a serious wrong to the attention of ministers or government agencies, given it benefits a person or company you're associated with, if there is a genuine serious wrong. I've never raised these three companies in a question, in a debate, in Westminster Hall, in a statement. I've never been involved in any contracts they've negotiated with any government agency, because that would be improper. I judged on these three issues. They were so serious, and lives were at risk, and I was privy to some exceptional information because of the exceptional technology involved, would have been absolute dereliction of duty if I had not raised those issues with the FSA. So if you take the first two, uh, Randox have exceptional technology. They found out that 12.5% of random milk samples, taken totally at random from British supermarkets, had antibiotics, including fluorphenicol, which is absolutely banned. Not a few parts per billion, zero. It is known to be carcinogenic. And we know that carcinogenic substances and also antimicrobial resistance are issues which the World Health Organisation could say will be the biggest killers of human life in decades to come. Uh, the chief medical officer at the time has said antimicrobial resistance issues were catastrophic. It would have been absolutely wrong, given my own personal background from a farming background, my own background here as a member of parliament for North Shropshire, one of the biggest milk lakes in Western Europe, and then my two years as the deferent Secretary of State. It would have been quite wrong not to have used that knowledge to bring it to the attention of the FSA.
1: And finally, the Equalities Minister, Kemi Badenoch, spoke to Phillips as October, also known as Black History Month, draws to a close.
2: Is your point that um, what we call Black History Month has, in a sense, become white racism history month?
1: I think, I think that's, that's, that's a way to put it. And I remember last year, I was absolutely horrified. I said this in a speech in Parliament. My seven-year-old came home from school and said, we're doing Black History in this uh, in school because every other month is white history. And I was absolutely appalled by that. That is not what it's supposed to be. Black history is British history. It's history that every black or white person or Asian person should be interested in. It's not something specially carved out, particularly worrying for my daughter, who is mixed race, where she is being taught that this is a special kind of history that's different for her. And I don't want her to have this sort of... um, sort of split identity. I, I think it's not helpful for people to look at uh, communities as being so separate. We should be looking at what brings us all together. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman and this podcast was produced by Matthew Taylor. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffeehouse Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily Evening Blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash evening blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week.